Good morning. Welcome to LJCC. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to get started with worship. So why don't we all stand and join me in singing.
for all who call upon his name. I will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our souls. Reward till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. We'll stand. We will stand as children of promise. We will fix our eyes on Him, our souls. Reward till the race is finished and the work is done. We'll walk by faith and not by sight. seated. Good morning. My name is Laura Georgiakakis. I'm a member of La Jolla Community Church, and I'm also the teaching director of the Community Bible Study class that meets every Thursday. This year we'll be studying the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers in a study called From the Red Sea to the Jordan River. And it's the story of how God leads us out of captivity and through the wilderness and into his promised land. I hope the women of La Jolla Community Church will consider joining us. We'll meet Thursdays from 10 to 12, beginning September 15th. We have both Zoom groups and in-person groups and we have an evening group if you work during the day that meets from 6.30 to 7.30 on Zoom also. This is a great opportunity for us to draw closer to God, to get to know Him better, which is the purpose for which He gives us His Word, and also to draw closer to one another and to get to know each other better. We have a postcard that gives you all the information you need about how to register, when and where we meet, and who to contact for more information on this uh, study but don't hesitate to grab me also if you have any questions. We'd love you to join us. We meet through the school year from September to May, and it's a great chance for us to draw nearer to our God. Well, good morning, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If you are joining us out on the patio, uh, kudos, you are a hot weather warrior. If you're joining us online, I hope you have a, uh, an air conditioner or a fan blowing right in your face. And if you're here in the sanctuary, I hope you're enjoying all 880 volts of Freon cooled air. Um, <laughs> and if you are in the sanctuary with us, you got a bulletin when you walked in. And on the, on the bottom side, there's a connect card and a prayer card. Um, the Bible tells us to pray unceasingly and about everything. So if you have something good to pray about, something bad to pray about, or all the, the millions of minutia in between, you know, um, just we'd love to join you in prayer on that. We pray about those cards every week. Um, and then the Connect card, if you have a new phone number, new email address, or just something you want to tell us, something you, you, you know, hope the church does in the future, or a question you have about uh, uh, the church or, or anything, um, you can write that down and we read all those and, and uh, connect uh, wherever possible. And then on the top of the card, there's an uh, uh, invite for the fall kickoff, which is next week, uh, Sunday, following the church. So it'll start right at uh, 1030, and we'll have a, a nice hot brunch outside. 
Hopefully it's not as hot next week, so the hot brunch is, you know, enjoyable. And, um, and then we'll have lots of uh, activities and music and uh, fun stuff out there on the lawn. So uh, come next week, use the card to invite a friend or family member uh, or a grocery store, you know, employee that you talk to every week. Thank you. Okay, a little bit of a moment of truth here, just so we can all bond around a confession. How many of you would describe yourselves as climate intolerant? Okay, so this is the problem with living in a place like this year-round, is that at some point uh, you make this accommodation. Everything becomes just about perfect between 68 and 72 with low humidity. And when anything affects that, you might have grown up in Nome, Alaska, or Houston, Texas, but after being here for a little bit, you have become climate uh, intolerant uh, and climate incompetent. Um, and you forget, you forget, uh, as soon as this nice weather comes back, we'll be saying, why would I have air conditioning? Right now I'm thinking, I'm thinking why don't we have air conditioning? It just... A couple years ago, uh, uh, our daughter Lauren was going to bring the kids from Dallas, where it's, it's, it's almost as hot as the sun, um, uh, but it's closer. And so they thought, well, let's just get, let's go back to La Jolla and just hang out. JJ can visit back and forth, and we'll hang out in the beautiful weather. Well, they show up. It was like this, only worse. It was in the 90s, high humidity. And they said, oh, thank goodness you have air conditioning. And we're like, oh, who tells her? Because they live in air conditioning in places like that. We have no air conditioning. It's so hot. Uh, even the rats have moved out of the neighborhood. <laughs> cockroaches have left La Jolla right now. All, if you see them, they're all coming to your house in Scripps Ranch, if that's where you live, or someplace like that. Well, we're wrapping up our God of Wonders series today. Uh, we've been talking about the God of Wonders and we've been doing that in really a two-part manner. We've been doing it in the worship context, talking about all the aspects of, of God being a God of wonders. And then uh, in the second hour, what we call conversations, we've been unpacking that using uh, some Bible Project videos uh, about creation, and we've been using some um, BioLogos videos, looking at you know, what are the impacts in terms of the techniques uh, that God has used to create the world. And it's been a very fascinating conversation. For some people, a little bit uncomfortable. That whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm, I like this version of it. Is this version maybe impinging on my faith, or is this version uh, saying too much? You know, the person who says, "I, I, I can't imagine a God having anything to do with the cre creative process," uh, has a hard time reconciling with the idea that there's a God behind it all. But so we've seen in this series that God's wonders are revealed in His works. His works. You get to see who God is by what God does. Uh, psychologists would say that all behavior is meaningful. So if you do something, you say, well, that wasn't me. The astute person next to you would say, oh, yes, that was. <laughs> because behavior is meaningful. God's works are meaningful. They point us right back uh, to the source. And his works reveal and reflect his character because we see it's a good creation. A lot of problems uh, that we live in this, uh, that we experience in this world. Uh, but we see that there's something really good. It seems like it was really good and something is just off. But at the heart of it, you see there's something really good going on here. And his works are good because he is good. At the end of that creative process, he said, it's good. And at the, at the end of that process creating us, he said, it's good, good. Very good. Uh, it's uh, excellent. Told me, oh, really good. 
And he's created us to do good work. We sang some songs right now about building and, and working. And so one of the most glorious things about being a human being is we have the capacity to work. You know, two things that, that make a mature human being. Uh, your capacity and ability to work and to love. If, if you're dating somebody and you're wondering, is it going to work? Ask, them if, ask yourself, do they work? And if you think, you're wondering if you're going to love it or not, say, do they know how to love? Uh, because you meet lots of people who know how to work because they put all their stuff into work so they don't have to deal with the rest of their life. And you have other people who talk a lot about love, but it really means I love being loved. I don't want to take the time enough to learn how to love. So this is a very fascinating thing we see about God and his good work, is that he's a God of good work, he's a God of great love. And there's no conflict between science and faith because science is, is one of God's wonders. If somebody, somebody was to say, anyway, I don't know why they'd frame it this way, but if somebody said, well, you know, do you think of God and science as being equal? I'd say, oh, no, 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 no. Science and God equal? No, no. Uh, God is God. God created the capacity for us to do science. I'd say science is a gift from God. It has nothing to do with being equal to God. It says it's about reflecting the God of all these good works. And I can't think of a more wonderful thing than to be a follower of Jesus and launching a satellite and saying, wow, I wonder how our work will do out there in space. Uh, I, I've known some really wonderful men and women who are physicians who create not just techniques, but tools and, and instruments and, and devices that help people. And one of the great things for them is that you know, they've, they've worked hard to master their craft, but they've also prayed a lot about, Lord, help me get this right. And when they get to see it work in somebody, it's not just a matter of, I'm a genius when it comes to this. It's more like, Lord, you are so great. It is so great to see this person at least partially restored to what they could be. You follow, are you following me on this? This is one of the most wonderful things about the, the God of wonders. If I was going to summarize it, it would be, we can stop wondering about God and simply start enjoying God's wonders as we take a deep dive into his word, as we take a deep dive into the world. One of the big errors that we make in our culture is that we either take a deep dive into the world to get away from the Word of God. If I need to know anything, it's in the world. Uh, another problem can be for people who want to take a deep dive into God's Word and never engage in the world. What we are called to do uh, under the wonders of God is to say, you've given us a capacity to fully engage the world you've created us for and have given us a role in. So God creates us out of the dust and breathes His Spirit into us so that we can bear his image. What's the point of that? When I was a little kid, and, and we were flying back to the United States to England, uh, those are the days when um, they didn't have props anymore, thankfully. But um, you get on that, that TWA or Pan Am plane, and everybody was all dressed up, of course, and the seats were big, and the plates in China was real. And if you're a little kid, oh, you're five. Well, we have some wings for you. And they put the wings on you, and your shirt would go like this, you know, because you were so heavy made out of real metal. And you're, you're standing here with your, you know, and, and you're thinking, I'm a pilot. <laughs> and they say, would you like to meet the rest of your crew? Well, yes, I would. And they'd march you up into the cabin. And the guys, in, it's all guys, and all the guys in the crew would act like, ah, oh, you're back. Yeah, way to go. The team's together. We're, you ready to take off? Well, yes, I am. <laughs> you know? And I'm thinking, does my mom know where I am? And I'm thinking, you know, at that point I went back and I knew the plane was under control because my crew was on it. Now as a five-year-old, you would think, you know, I'm part, of the, I'm part of the crew. 
But of course, all the adults are going, oh, isn't that cute? You know, the kid thinks he's a pilot. So the neat thing is, is that God just doesn't give us this honorary title, you're made in my image. He says, you are made in my image. You have a job to do. You have work to do. But it's not the kind of work that makes you feel diminished and demeaned, humiliated. Uh, yeah, you will feel tired and you'll feel confused and frustrated at times, but I have a work to do that's going to help you grow <clears throat> and express your fullest potential. This is the God of wonders. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living being. And it says he made them uh, in his image, male and female. And as his image bears in, God's commissioned us to join him in his work in the world. But here's the crazy thing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. As, as I've been reflecting on this, it occurred to me, for the, I don't know why, for the first time. So because it's such a, it's an abrupt change, Genesis 1 and 2 are all about this creation that's good. All of a sudden, you take this hard left uh, to chapter 3, and, and it's, it's like you're in, a, you're in a skid going off a cliff. What happened? And the world has now fallen, and, and men and women are compromised, and it's just oppressive. And we're ushered out of this garden. And, and, and I had never really thought about it till this week that, well, had it not gone that way, what would have God's work in ours have been? Because he commissioned us before the fall. You've got a work to do. This is all when it was really good. So work isn't punishment in that sense. I mean, it's like, think about your, your, your sexuality, human sexuality. That was a gift of God, a feature built into us before the fall. It's something beautiful that's been distorted. Our work is something awesome uh, that's been made less so. So what would God have been doing and what would we have been doing as part of our work? And this puts me in a better frame of mind to say, well, what is work supposed to be? Because we're not talking about work today, by the way. But if we don't have a little sense of what work is, we can't talk about what we're going to talk about. So I assume that work was simply going to be enjoying God's creation and thriving in it and flourishing in it and being present to the rest of creation and saying, anybody need anything? Because our job was to rule over creation. Hey, is everything going okay here? Uh, what can I do to help? I think of the beautiful possibilities. It's like when you've ever, if you've ever built a house, a remodeled house, and when you finally get into it, um, you get to do all kinds of things. Simple things. Cook a meal, put a puzzle together, tickle the kids, play with the dog, Whatever. You, you went through all that work to simply enjoy it. I think that's what was supposed to happen. And of course, chapter 3 changes everything. So when we went rogue and disobeyed God, God's work in the world, I, I'm, I'm assuming, pivoted from enjoying his creation to rescuing it. So that's the bulk of the Bible. It's a, it's a rescue story about God redeeming, God taking the initiative, the God of wonders, coming up with yet another wonder to bring us back into that relationship that we were created for. So I've just given you a summary of, of Old Testament theology. The rest is commentary and editorial. If we don't have a firm foundation in the Old Testament, we are clueless, helpless, hopeless, and just walking in circles in the New Testament. One, it, doesn't make, it makes no sense. What's the big deal? We don't need guys hanging on crosses. What's the problem? Until you understand the Old Testament, you say, thank God he was willing to hang on a cross for us.
It's wonderful. What? It's grotesque. I know. Completely. And wonderful. He's the God of wonders, you know. And that's what love moves him to do. His work is motivated by his love. So in Christ, God is restoring us to our original purpose, which is being servant leaders. Now, servant and leader don't, know to, don't go together in our culture. Leaders are people with servants. They're called vice presidents, vice, vice, vice presidents, assistant to the vice president, the vice president, director, vice chair, vice, you know, good, I have my, I have my, my people. It, but we, God has flipped that whole, knowledge, that whole notion. Uh, the correct uh, hierarchy of power starts at a point, the leader, lifting up and caring for every other leader, who then cares for every other leader, who cares for the least significant staff person in the building. And so that intern goes home and says, Mom, Dad, you can't believe these people cared about me all day long. It was amazing. I've never worked harder. I've never been more nervous about getting it right. But man, they were there for me. What an interesting thing to say. Instead of, no, I've never met my boss. Why? Why would you ask? In fact, I hope I never do meet my boss. It would be very bad if I was to meet my boss. So you see, servant leaders are those people who say, I've been created in the image of God and empowered with all of his authority to say, what do you need? How can I help? So that was our our normal, original purpose. And so God is restoring that. A husband, a husband is somebody who loves and cherishes his wife. That sounds like an enjoyment word. Yeah, it's rooted in service. Parents are supposed to love and cherish their children. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it's the greatest joy you can ever have if you get it right. So today I want to reflect with you on our work's essential meaning, which is enjoying God's shalom. We think of the word shalom in a super flat, kind of a superficial manner. Shalom means peace. But of course, uh, and, and you know, when I use, by the way, when I use, when I use Greek words or, or Hebrew words, it's not to show off. Well, here's another Greek word I don't know, nor do you. It's more like saying, hey, these are the original words. Let's pay attention to these words because they have so much meaning in them, we can't possibly unpack all that meaning in an English word. You know, if you have another language besides English, there are those vernacular kind of phrases, those phrases that are untranslatable, not because you're not in polite, because you're in polite company, but because they're a combination of things that make no sense on their own, but when you say them, they capture a moment. Uh, and, and so throwing, you know, um, everything, everything, including the kitchen sink, doesn't me- make sense if you're not an English speaker. There's a phrase in Spanish. I, I, I know all of like nine words in Spanish, and they all have to be in present tense. But one of the great phrases I learned years ago in Spanish is if you're in the marketplace and they go, hey, this is great. This looks perfect on you. You've got to own this. This is for you. Um, and, and it's only, you know, for you only today. And, and they're working you. And if you turn to them and you say, no te hagas el chistoso. They will start laughing, and they go, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. You know what's going on here. And I have no idea what it means, except that, because literally means no te hagas el chistoso. Um, uh, don't, don't make the joker. Don't be making the joker. And you go, all right, how does that work so well? You can say it to an older lady and not offend her. She'll start laughing. You, you can say it to anybody. It's one of those phrases. So the problem is, how do you start to undo the Bible? I mean, not undo it, but un- unpack the Bible. 
you need to take some time to learn how to do some word studies. So what does shalom mean? Shalom is not just uh, yo in Hebrew. Shalomech, shalomcha, oh, I got it down, you know, or I want more shalom in the world. I want a lighter experience, a phone experience at a concert. That's shalom. Shalom is saying the well-ordered world is functioning the way it's supposed to function. Shalom means every good thing that God has for you is being given to you. Shalom is the fullest possibility of your expression as a human being. Shalom is this powerful, deep, wow, amazing word. What's the purpose of business? Business is to bring shalom to the marketplace. Really? I thought it was about making money. Well, certainly it's about making money, making jobs, making life better for everybody. But, but the, the theological reason for work is shalom. You'd be laughed out of Harvard Business School. After probably half the students there were Jewish, so they'd probably go, I like this place. This is making a lot of sense finally. Shalom. Yes, it is. So this is the essential meaning of our work. Shalom. And this is the segue to what I want to talk to you about. This is the essential meaning to rest. We need desperately God's shalom in the marketplace. We need desperately God's shalom in us to restore us and to renew us. In Genesis 2, 2-3, we see that on the seventh day God rested and he sanctified the seventh day. He Two things. He rests and he sanctifies. So here we see, it says, by the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Wow, rest and holiness are somehow linked. He called it holy because he had rested. Uh, God rested. That, that phrase is yishbot, yishbot. Yishbot means cease and desist. Stop working. Yishbot. If you're walking around in Israel and you're doing something wrong, like, hey, yishbot, yishbot. No, don't do that. You tried to help and you were the guest. Yishbot. Don't do that. Cease and desist. So to rest is to cease and desist. Nobody as a teenager ever had to tell me yishbot when it came to work. I don't know what the work, word for get to work right now is, but it would be the one I would have heard a lot more. And then God sanctified the day as holy. Kodesh is the word, Kodesh. And you see all the implications and, and the way that this word rolls out. Holy, holy, holy. On one hand, it means to be separate. Don't hang with people who are doing things that <laughs> are going to get you in trouble. Hang with people who are going to bring the best out in you. So it's, it's setting apart. It's sanctifying. Sanctifying is putting to its intended and proper purpose. Ah, God's saying the proper purpose of this day is to rest and to enjoy the creation. And so this passage is a significant marker for us because as image bearers, we need to learn how to emulate the Lord. How do we do this? Well, we learn to live in God's shalom, this life-giving rhythm of work and rest. And, and shalom, of course, is related to Shabbat, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, is this concept, this reality, this behavior that expresses and implements shalom. Now, uh, I didn't go to ch- church a lot because my Catholic dad and my Protestant mom were too busy fighting about what church not to go to. 
so we didn't go to church that much. But Sunday, there was still all these rules on Sundays. Stores were closed and you couldn't do stuff. And my friends who actually were in Christian families that were operational, um, it was like the most boring day of their week. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything. Sabbath was a day of denial and, and it's almost like despair. I can't wait for school on Monday. And of course that changed and fell apart. Uh, there's places now around the world that have Shabbat laws. People come up to you and ding you and, 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 and fine you or harass you. If you're in, in, in some of the um, parts of Jerusalem and you're walking around on Sunday, they'll throw rocks at you. They'll swear at you. They'll cuss at you because you're defying Shabbat. What they don't understand is you're experiencing Shabbat. You're in this holy city doing something you don't normally do on a, on a Sunday and you're walking around going, I am amazed to be here, Lord. I want to walk this place thinking of you. So you're in your own Shabbat mode. You're fully in a Shabbat mindset and somebody's harassing you. So this is the problem with uh, any, any law or rule related to Sabbath. You start making Sabbath rules, it gets ugly quickly. Don't do this, don't do that. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Don't even think about doing that. I know you're thinking about it. Don't stop thinking about that. Instead of saying, what would it look like for us to maximize rest on one day of the week? What would bring the best out in you? So there's three words for work. I won't get into all these three words. Um, I will. Melacha is one kind of work. It means I, I made something. Somebody made this gluten-free matzah. Melacha. And the person who made it, the work they did is masayach. Masayach. Masayach produced the melacha. But also, the person who put this on the plate wanted us to have it, and they were serving us to say, I want to serve you so you can have communion. That's called avodah. So, for example, if you were unpacking the, the portable temple, the tabernacle, they called it, first part of Israel history before they had the, the big physical version of it from Solomon, it's a beautiful place, amazing, designy. I mean, it was like the ultimate of design. Uh, I wish I had time to read the description and talk about the materials. It was like the highest version of design you could ever imagine. Stunningly beautiful. The place where God would meet people. So the people who set it up were doing a melacha. And, 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 and the actions they were doing is a masiach. Why? Two kinds of work. The worker and the work done. So that the people then could do the work of worship. Avodah. Avodah is a work. It's a service. But it's not one that's denied on Shabbat. You can't melacha, you can't be doing a messiah on Shabbat. But you can do an avodah. Somebody fell down and they hurt themselves. The doctor kneels down and says, are you okay? Can I help you? I said, avodah. Normally it would be a melacha, a messiah. You get what I'm saying? This is, this is why these words matter. And why we, we are, if you're doing Bible study, every once in a while just take the time to say, Google in the word. And what, what are the implications of this word, right? So the idea of Sabbath isn't about creating a bunch of rules and trying to keep them. That becomes a form of work. That becomes an oppressive thing. Let me reframe it for you, like I did with work. Work is ultimately rooted in love. That's a pattern that we'll see throughout Scripture. If it isn't rooted, if anything isn't rooted in love, it's suspect. What's going on here? Sex that's not rooted in love 
I don't think so. You're going to be using and abusing people. Making a profit, and that's not based in love? Mm, all right, what's going on here? Well, it's love. I love to rip people off. Oh, that's, that doesn't work. But in love moving anything is powerful. And even good things you can do without love. But once you find out there was no love attached to it, you say, why not? Why not? Well, one of God's greatest wonders is coming into this world to show us his love. We see his works. Because in that first couple chapters, he doesn't say, you know, I'm doing this because I love you. You know that, right? What we start to see in the biblical narrative is that what's behind all this? And eventually we start to see it's about love. <clears throat> it's God's love. We tend to think because of our own fallenness, it's all about power and control. But little by little, we, we are jaw-dropped because we realize, wait, 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 this is about love. When you discipline a child, is it about anger and rage? It could be. Some of us have experienced that. It's not pleasant. But when somebody is disciplining a child, even if it's firm and confrontational, and it's about love, what does that produce in that child? Security. Well-being. Trust. The writer of Hebrews says, God disciplines us because he loves us. So we see God <clears throat> comes into the world to show us his love. In Jesus, God reveals that love is the heart and core of bearing his image. We're not just supposed to walk around and rule the world. Hey, get out. Don't do that. That's why I said earlier, we're servant leaders. Hey, what do you need? What can I do for you? Hey, thank you so much for doing that for me. So work and, and rest are rooted in love, and love makes hard work possible, work that we normally wouldn't want to do. Um, Mother Teresa, who died you know, 25 years ago, uh, somebody said to her, they were doing this documentary on her and taking care of dying people and desperately poor people. Somebody said, look, i got to tell you, I wouldn't do this for a million dollars. And uh, she said, yeah, neither would I. I do it for love. So work and rest are rooted in love. They make hard work possible. And we are restless without love. We are restless without love. We're antsy without love. And, and we, don't, we're not, we're not, might, we might not even be conscious about the fact that we're, don't, we don't have love. We're just restless. We don't know why. But I can tell you, it's because we don't have love. We're not feeling loved. We're not loving. And so we're restless. And of course, Augustine said, you know, Lord, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Thee. And so God has demonstrated His love for us. He sets a standard and He instructs us how to love. So Deuteronomy 6.5 instructed Israel to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. I wish I had time to unpack those words. Again, these words themselves become super significant. <clears throat> I will unpack that word strength. The, the, the word um, for heart is love. Heart is lev, levav. Uh, the word for soul is nefesh. You're, you, are, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. But the word for strength isn't the word strength. It's a weird, weird combination. It's, it's a, a meod. Meod, just, okay. Meod, so what? Meod means much, very. If I say... Uh, that's very, very good. I'd say tov meod. It's good, very. Tov meod, wow. How did meod? 
Because what happens here is that your strength is the, the, the muchness of you, the, 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 the total substance of you, the very most muchness. It's crazy I'm trying to describe it in English. The, the very best version of you represents your strength. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus quotes this passage, he changes that meodacha, the, the phrase, into mind. Nous, dia nous. How did that happen? Because he's talking to people who have a slightly different concept of what strength is. And the strength is your mind, how you think, how you know, how you, how you get things done. So here's a powerful thing. We're supposed to love our God with everything we got, our heart, soul, and mind. Strength. And then in Leviticus 9.18, it says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you know that when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He combines these two. He combines Deuteronomy 6.5, and he, he combines uh, Leviticus 9.18. Uh, so Jesus called these the great, great commandments. Why? Because they represent our best work, and they require us to rest. You can't do your best work if you're not rested. Now, you've, everybody here has probably run a 70 or 80 hour week of necessity. Big project, something has to happen. Somebody is sick, needs constant care. You can't live on that. You, you can't live on that. <clears throat> you need rest. But in a normal, so in a normal routine, you need to rest for your work, right? And you need to rest from your work. You can push it to the limit, you can't live at that limit. So our purpose in life is loving God and loving people, integrating work and rest. That's what we see in this rhythm of work and rest. Work and rest are about engaging our whole heart, soul, and strength. Our work is holy, as is our rest. How do we know? Because he said on the day he rested, he called it holy. So you see holiness pulled into this whole notion as well. So you see, it, it, what, you, what you see is a tapestry. You see something being woven. Throughout the whole scripture, all these terms, all these ideas are being woven into a whole cloth in which God wraps us in his righteousness. And that's why Bible study is so critical. So we start to understand the wonders of God revealed in the words of God. And you know, the, the Hebrew people were called the people of the word, Adabarim, the word people. We need to become people of the word. Why? So we have a lot of thoughts at cocktail parties? No. So that we can take those words and let them change our behavior. Right? Because beliefs always come out as behavior. That's why the Good Samaritan parable is so powerful. Everybody who walked on by had strong beliefs. One guy had the behavior to help. And so our work is holy, as is our rest, and rest is specifically linked to worship and spiritual restoration. This is why Sabbath, Shabbat, is such an important day. This is also why if we misunderstand it, we make it an, an oppressive thing that, oh, dear God, here come the, the Shabbat cops. Remember how many times Jesus ran into the Shabbat cops? Whoa, 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 what are you doing? That man, you can't heal that man, it's Shabbat. Wait, the guy's been paralyzed for 40 years. He's been blind for, he's been, they have, and you're telling me I can't heal them on Sabbath? Are you crazy? No, I'm Orthodox. Well, you're orthodoxly crazy then, because this is, and what did Jesus say? Man hasn't been created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath has been created for man. That's why, to this day, if you're in Israel and a cow falls in a ditch, 
you're allowed to get the cow out of the ditch. If a baby is being born, you can stop and deliver the baby, right? Because there's compassion involved. And so work uh, and rest are tied to worship and spiritual restoration, not rule-keeping, but being spiritually restored. So it's not a spiritual timeout for bad behavior. It's not an enforced nap on an active four-year-old who does not want a nap. It's a get-to, not a have-to. It's spiritual food and water and rest for people who need it and want it. Uh, It's also a place to confront our weakness and our sin and to find our strength. We see this in Jesus. Not that Jesus (laughs) needed to confront his sin, but Jesus, prior to his ministry, after his baptism, was led out into the desert for 40 days. You remember this. The culmination of which is he, he encountered Satan. At his, he had this mano a mano confrontation with Satan. But it was a time of, of deep, deep soul searching and preparation for what would be this, this confrontation with Satan. You imagine how exhausting that would be. Of course, at the end of it, uh, from this wild place, this wilderness, uh, the angels come and minister to him. Uh, the Greek word for that is eramos, eramos. It's emptiness, empty places, wild places. Sometimes God will lead you into the wild place for spiritual restoration, deep counseling, deep transformation. Uh, it could be the beginning of a 12-step program, a breaking of an addiction. It could be a mental health issue. It could be a, a point of total exhaustion and despair. Sometimes that is spiritual restoration. That's one version. The other one, the more common version that we see in Jesus is that he would constantly go away to a quiet place for prayer. So he begins his ministry by going out of the wilderness, culminating in a battle with Satan. Uh, then he's uh, you know, ministered to by angels. But he regularly sought out his heavenly father in the synagogue, Nazareth. He's in the synagogue. They say, hey, would you like to read today's scripture? Yeah, sure. I have come to release, to give hope to the captives, to give sight to the blind. Whoa, hey, I'm fulfilling this in your presence. So he's in the synagogue. They chase him out. They got to throw him off a cliff, and he just walks through them. But he would, he would go into the synagogue to worship. He would go to the temple in Jerusalem, and he'd worship. And while there, if he had time, he'd turn over tables and say, this is not a commercial site. And then he would go off into quiet places. So those are the ones you're maybe more familiar with. Uh, I'll read several out of Mark. And Luke, Matthew, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Why? No distractions. And there's something restorative about being in a natural setting. Don't you agree? That's why he built that little prayer garden. It just feels better when you sit out there. Uh, I cannot drive through that portal into Yosemite and not smile and get giddy. Luke says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sicknesses. Oh my gosh, more work to do. Good work. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Eramos places for solitude, quiet, concentration. Luke goes on to say, one of these, uh, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. So Jesus prays all night long, and then he goes and picks the apostles. A little side note on this, one of the apostles he picked was Judas. 
Now, because this becomes a whole other topic, I just want to call your attention to the fact that Jesus prayed all night long for the will of God, believed he had the will of God, and I believe he did. He chose the disciples, and one of them was Judas. You can do everything right in the Lord, and it doesn't always turn out right. Judas made his own decisions. So that was a fail. That was a bad decision. I've had people say that to me. Well, if you hired that person, it didn't work out. It was a bad decision on your part. Like, how about they were a good interviewer? I don't know. I mean, it looked good. We, everything was checking out, and we don't know until people have a chance to show you who they are. You can do everything right, and it cannot get right. But here's, Jesus was constantly taking these kinds of opportunities. We see it in Matthew. After he d- dismissed his disciples and all these people, hey, hey, I need to get away. He went up on a mountainside again to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. That's when he came down and saw them on the water, walks out to the water, and invites Peter under the water. So this was Jesus being anchored in rest. If you do the math, we rest six times more than, uh, work six times more than we rest. Right? Six days he labored, one day he rested. So you see this rhythm of work and rest becomes super critical. We find time to rest during the day. What's your rhythm of work and rest during the day? What's your rhythm of you know, rest and work during the week? What about during the month? What about during the quarter? What about during the year? So we see in Jesus this functional rhythm of work and rest. It's intentional, deliberate discipline. How are we doing on time? Oh, we got two more hours. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so what are you doing to rest? What are you doing? What's your routine looking like right now? What's your rhythm? It's okay to say, I, I don't have one. I used to have a great one. I've just gotten out of it. How does that happen? Because it just does. I get distracted. You get distracted. There are times in my life I've been so hyperproductive. And then I just sort of, I've, you know, I, I get into that groove where I know I'm hyperproductive. And then pretty soon I'm, I'm getting distracted, distracted, distracted. And pretty soon I'm, I'm like, gee, I've kind of lost my edge. I need to, I'm just as busy, but I'm not as effective. I'm just as busy, but I'm more tired and harassed. I need to get back to that. You know, and so this is where we constantly have to realign, readjust. This is just normal life. That's why you have to do that as a couple. How you doing? How are we doing? Let's get away. Let's just go hang out together somewhere with your kids. It's intentional. It's deliberate. It's discipline. That means you have to keep looking at it, keep coming back to it. Uh, think of rest uh, from this biblical perspective as holy leisure. It's holy leisure. You get to luxuriate in the presence of God. You get to luxuriate in just having some time to yourself. You get to luxuriate. I mean, it's, it's a great Sabbath, I think, would start with a nap. I can, I'm one of those people who just cannot nap. I have to be sick to get a nap. I admire, I, I wouldn't say envy, but it's pretty close to it. People who can say, ah, just give me 10 minutes, I'm going to take a nap. Can you take a nap? But whatever you can do to restore your body to restore your thinking. Okay, binge watch Downton Abbey. It might work for you. It might be okay. What I'm saying is this time of rest is meant to get you in a place where you can say, okay, Lord, I'm I'm calming down. Let's talk together about what matters. See, it's a necessary luxury. And don't confuse rest and leisure with laziness. We, as as a culture, we think in our own hearts and minds that if we're resting, we're being lazy. I should be more productive. I should be doing something right now. If somebody was to walk into your office and you were just daydreaming, you'd feel bad. You go, oh. There's a pastor who was in his office just exhausted from working. He finally puts his head down and he's so tired. 
And he realizes somebody walks in his office and he realizes, oh my gosh, I fell asleep. And he's now thinking, oh no, they're going to walk in and think I'm just taking a nap and I don't do anything. So the person walks in and he goes, amen. Uh, yeah, what can I do to help you? Um, you know, so they thought he was praying, right? But it's okay to, to do nothing. That's not the same thing as laziness. Let me explain. Um, laziness is sin, rest is virtue. True laziness is ignoring the greatest commandment. I will not love the Lord my God with my heart, soul, and strength. I will not love my neighbors myself. That's laziness. I will not do what needs to be done. I will not keep that commitment no matter what. That's laziness. I will not tell the truth. I'll go the easy way. I will not return what I borrowed. I will not repay what I owe. That's laziness. It's a sin. Rest is always a virtue. The Bible describes laziness as disobeying God and God commands us to rest from our work. Well, I could go on, and I won't. I'll just leave you with this thought. It's not about attending a service. It's about t- attending your soul. Services are essential. Worship, Bible study, com- community Bible study, essential. Retreats, essential. All these things, really important. But make sure you're attending to your soul in the context of those things i got to get my homework done for community Bible study. Oh, man, that's the wrong attitude in which to do that homework. Lord, I want you to meet me as I work through these questions in the time that I have. Mm, now you've redeemed that time. It's no longer a check mark. It's an avodah. It's a work of service to the Lord. It's not a, um, you know, melacha. Um, we're going to be doing some things this fall. Uh, Rooted, we did this a number of years ago. Rooted is a 10-week commitment. Fantastic to get you focused a little bit of work during the week, and then you have a meeting. We're going to structure it uh, in the time of our conversations. That, that has run its course for now. We'll, we'll come back to that again. But going into the fall, we're going to do rooted. So you get something to eat, and you come in, and you meet with your rooted group, and we'll spread them out all over the campus. So we made it really simple. We'll, we'll, we're going to worship. We'll feed you. You can do rooted. Um, you, you can't miss more than two. So if you know you're going to be gone four times, don't sign up for it. But Rooted, you'll have a chance to sign up in the next couple of weeks. It starts on the 18th. We're also going to be doing Alpha again. The last time we did Alpha was a couple years ago. We had 120 people do it. Uh, likewise, it's about a 10-week commitment. Phenomenal. Created by uh, Rooted. Comes out of Kenya, a little church. It's originally called Mzizi Rooted in Kenya. Came through Mariner's Church in Orange County. That's how we got Rooted. Alpha comes out of Holy Trinity Brompton, a, a church that has transformed Great Britain. Um, if you're a Bear Grylls fan, that's how Bear Grylls, I think, became a follower of Jesus. Went to, he went to Rooted. I mean, went to Alpha. So Alpha is this really neat process of, of reflecting on some stuff and then getting to discuss it. This would be a really good thing to help you claim your rest in Christ. If you've been to Rooted already, sign up again. If you haven't done Alpha, sign up for Alpha. These are the intentional decisions we have to make. So I'll leave you with these questions. Are you making time each week to be alone with God every day or throughout the week? Don't get legalistic. I missed a day. Just keep, make it regular. If it becomes every day, fantastic. If you miss some days, don't flip out. Are you taking time, though, each week to be alone with God? Are you taking time to worship Him with others? Does your current rhythm of work and rest bring you refreshment and joy? No, because I don't really have one. All right, then... What will it take for you to get one? Does coming to this church bring you refreshment and joy? If not, then we're not doing our job. 
If you come to this church, you're part of this church, and it doesn't make you feel refreshed and fill you with joy, let us know because maybe we're missing some things. Are the people living with you experiencing refreshment and joy because you live with them? It's a little scary to ask those questions. But if you have any hint that that might not be the case, maybe what you need is more refreshment and joy in the Lord so that more refreshment and joy comes through you to others because of your time with Him. And I'd ask you this from a more global perspective because it's not just about us and how we feel, how we're doing spiritually, because we're image bearers and servant leaders. So this final question is this. Are you helping to build a community that brings refreshment to a weary world? What is your part in that? Well, I'm really busy. Busyness is not an excuse. Busyness is a bogus response. If you have a device, you can stay in touch. If you have any time whatsoever, you can structure your life. If you travel all the time, if, you work, if your work makes you travel, uh, if you're busy doing other things, you can still organize your life to be very effectively involved in people's lives. Not by doing more, but by doing things smarter, right? Are you helping to build a community that brings refreshment to a weary world? This is part of your calling in God to be image bearers and servant leaders, everybody in your own sphere of influence. God himself will give you what you need to do it. That's the point of his work in you and through you, the point of the rest he wants you to experience in him. So on that night when he was betrayed, at the end of three years of, of work and rest, Jesus gathers these disciples together and explains to them what's going to happen in the next hours. And they seem to understand, but how could they possibly? This is a one-off. But he does his best to, to explain to them what's going to happen. And it gives them this, that the church has continued to practice since that first meal with Jesus. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. My body given for you. And right away, because it's Passover, they're celebrating, they're realizing he's saying he's the Passover lamb. Wow. He's come to take away the sins of the world. How would he do that? And then he takes his cup later in the meal, and he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And all of a sudden, for sure, this is a Passover reference. He is a, the, the unblemished Lamb of God whose blood will cover the sins of the people. And he says, do this, whatever you do this, in remembrance of me. Now, he's preparing them for their work in a moment of rest. It's, it's, it's Passover week, so it's Passover and, and Shabbat all rolled into one. The shalom of God, um, you know, multiplied. So Lord Jesus, this is what you want for us. You want us to somehow be caught up with you in this transformational relationship made possible through your love. That we would know the work that we're called to. That we'd understand the rest that is ours uh, to embrace. That Lord, you would uh, want us to have every benefit that is ours in you. So Lord, show us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through brothers and sisters in Christ, all the possibilities of living into, leaning into this incredible relationship of salvation and transformation. Uh, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. Without your grace, we're insufficient. That this is a gift. It's not a result of our works. And yet, because of this gift, you've given us a work to do that starts in rest. Lord, the first day we were created was a day of rest for us. Help us to regain that perspective 
And so we commit ourselves to you, even as we commit these elements to you. In Jesus' high and holy name, amen. There's some stations, uh, there'll be some people at these stations who will uh, be facilitating communion, but essentially, and if you're, if you're working one of the stations, just come up and stand by one of them. And, and then whenever you're ready, walk up, and you'll hear words like this, this is Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you, and you can take that little packet, and remember, uh, take the bread out first, uh, and eat the bread, and then open up the juice and drink the juice whenever you're ready. Uh, come to receive Holy Communion. This is for anybody who uh, is coming in the name of Jesus.
Hey, well, following the service, we have a light brunch for you in the Welcome Center. Um, if it's too full in there, you're welcome to come back in here. It's only seven steps between the Welcome Center and the sanctuary, um, so you don't have to melt. Um, and then also today, we're partnering with Meals on Wheels, um, which is a, a national organization that goes into people's homes with a warm conversation and a meal um, for anyone who uh, maybe finds it hard to leave their home, can't leave their home. And the uh, San Diego chapter goes into 4,300 um, uh, people's homes every day. So uh, we're building goodie bags for them, uh, just really simple, brief thing we can do to partner with them. We just uh, fill some hygiene items into a goodie bag and then write a little note. Um, so we'd love if you would partner with us in that way, and that's also set up in the Welcome Center. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, we have finished the Avodah, the service to God. And now we'll go do a little avodah as we do these kits for Meals on Wheels. Get something to eat on the way. Thank you for being here in worship. Thanks for being part of this community. If there's anything we can do to help you take that next step in your relationship with Christ, maybe you've, you've, you've been thinking about it, but you haven't exactly, exactly accepted Christ yet. Pretty simple. If you haven't done that, a little, we'll help you do that. Just simply to stand there and say, Lord, come into my life. We'll help you to connect to his word and, and grow in your knowledge and love of him. We'd love to connect you to community. Please be willing to sign up for Rooted or Alpha and invite some people to do it with you. We're inviting the whole community to be a part of this. We've asked some other churches to jump in and host it as well. Next door, Good Sam's hosting Alpha. Uh, faculty and staff at UCSD are hosting an Alpha. Um, and and uh, other churches will be doing it as well. So uh, whatever it takes for you to serve the Lord and serve the Lord uh, is going to help you live in and walk in His rest. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can even ask or imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So mm -hmm.